Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Praise the Lord. First Kings chapter 16 or 17, verse number 7, it says, It happened after a while. Somebody say, after a while. That the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon and stay there for behold I have commanded a widow there to provide for you so he arose and went to Zarephath and when he came to the gate of the city behold a widow was there gathering sticks he called to her and said please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink and as she was going to get it he called to her again and said please bring me a piece of bread in your hand she said as the Lord your God lives I have no bread only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar and behold I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die then Elijah said to her do not fear go and do as you have said but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me and afterward you may make one for yourself and your son for thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. For the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Hear, hear the word of the Lord. Go back to verse 11. And I want to read verse 11 and 12 for the point of emphasis. It says, as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. She said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject, my mind is playing tricks on me. All right. Amen. My mind is playing tricks on me. Father, thank you. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. My mind is playing tricks on me. The life of the Christian is one that is unique because in it, we are granted forgiveness from our sin, salvation from God's wrath, and eternity with God in heaven if we decide to place our trust in him. What is interesting about being a Christian is that trust is not just the formula for our salvation, but it is actually the key to success in the entire Christian life. Because in a culture that tries to tell us that we are the center of our universe, and that we are the masters of our own fate and the captains of our own souls. And that all we need to do is live our truth and trust in ourselves. God calls us as Christians not only to defy the culture, 
but to live as examples to those around us of what it looks like to live as people who have put their trust in the Lord. The life of the Christian then is a commitment for us to wake up every single day, no matter what the circumstances of our lives may be, and choose to place our trust not in ourselves or what we can see, but in the Lord our God. This is a simple concept on its surface, but the reality of our existence is that although God calls us every day to put our trust in him, life seldom makes it easy for us to put our trust in God. Even when God gives us a word or when God makes a promise and we are trying to obey God and believe that if we obey God, he will do what he said he would do. Oftentimes, life places us in situations that contradict the promise of God. And if I could be honest, this will do a number on your mind. And what do you do when you hear God speak to your spirit, but what you heard him say defies all reason and logic? How do you handle it when God is calling you to a greater level of faith, a deeper level of commitment, a higher level of sacrifice, and you want to trust him, but everything you see with your eyes and feel with your senses is telling you that trusting God doesn't make sense. What do you do when God tells you to start the business, but you don't have any connections in your city? What do you do when God tells you to apply for the promotion, but you know you don't meet the educational criteria? for the promotion what happens when you hear God calling you off the sidelines of ministry into service in his kingdom but you don't know enough scripture and you've never been to Bible college and what do you do when God is asking you to become a tither and stretch in your giving but your bank account says you can't afford it and I just want to ask somebody in the room today if they would be honest has God have you ever felt like God was telling you to do one thing but your circumstances were saying another won't it mess with your mind and the question that I have for you today is what do you do when you want to obey God but it feels like your mind is playing tricks on you this is the reality of life as someone who is called to follow Christ because God will not always give us logical commands God will not always call us to do things that can be logically worked out or grasped in the realm of our understanding sometimes God will call us and give us an order and send us on an assignment that does not make sense but the truth of our walk with God is that God does not just expect us to trust him in the times that make sense he wants us to prove our trust on the train ground of crazy faith and radical obedience and in the 21st century American church there has been an attempt to minimize God to a level that can be grasped by our understanding there's been an attempt to mitigate the miraculous and eliminate the unexplainable and tell us that if something doesn't make sense to us then it must not be God but the uncomfortable reality of Christianity is that sometimes obedience will take you to a place where the people are around you start to question your life choices sometimes saying yes to God means saying no to your plan and no to your hopes and no to your dreams and doing things that people around you might call crazy like walking away from a job so that you can give more time to ministry or leaving a toxic relationship that people around you wanted you to stay in
in because y'all looked good together. Trusting God is not always cute and sometimes the struggle to say yes to God doesn't make a good Instagram story or a nice Facebook post. Sometimes trusting God and obeying him can take you into scary places where it looks like if you say yes and give God what he is asking you for, you're going to end up broke and lonely and unhappy. God help me, y'all ain't saying nothing. Sometimes obedience will mess with your mind and have you questioning every song you've ever sang, every scripture you've ever read, every prayer you've ever prayed because now God is asking you for something that with your eyes and your senses does not make sense. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but God says if I'm going to be God in your life, then I can't just be God when you can understand me, nor is it my uh, requirement to explain my methods or my motives or my plan to you. But what God does promise is that he promises us that if we trust him and obey, even in the midst of commands that don't make any sense, he will cover us, bless us, and protect us and make sure we come out with the testimony of his goodness, even from situations that do not make sense. This is the reality of our lives as Christians. Sometimes being a believer means that God will call us to obey him and to trust him in crazy ways. This is our proof to the world and the devil that he is the Lord of our lives. But the beauty of our lives is that when we are that we are living under a promise that if we trust God in crazy ways, God will come through for us in crazy ways. God help me. I know it looks like you're not going to make it. I know the situation looks insurmountable. I know it doesn't make sense what God is asking you for. It looks impossible when you look at it with your eyes. But the promise of the Lord is that if you trust God in crazy ways, God will come through for you in crazy ways. As a matter of fact, some of us sitting in the building right now know this to be true. Because if you would be honest, you'd look back over the pages of your story and see times in your life when your money didn't add up and your education couldn't help you and you didn't have enough friends to help you pull off what you were trying to do and saying yes to God didn't make sense but you trusted him anyway and he came through for you that's why you're here saved and seated in the sanctuary clothed and in your right mind because God has proven to you time and time again that if you trust him in crazy ways he will come through for you in crazy ways as Christians, we are called to trust and obey him, even when it seems like our minds are playing tricks on us. Because trusting God is not always going to make sense. Beloved, this is especially true in the area of our resources. Because if we be honest, it's easy for us to shout about trusting God with burdens because he's a burden bearer. It's easy for us to trust God to make a way because he's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper light in the darkness but it's hard for us to trust God with the things that we feel like belong to us the things that we've worked for the things that we've hustled for the things that we've made plans for and the funny thing about God is that God never calls us to give of our resources in seasons when we feel like we can afford to give of our resources God trains us to obey him with our resources in seasons where obedience does not make sense God will call us to stretch 
in seasons that are already tight. He will move on our hearts to give when we don't know where our next is going to come from. But he does this so that we can learn to prize his promise over and above our predicament. And his promise is, if you obey me in your time of need, then I will make sure that your need is always met. And this is the message of this particular passage of scripture because it is in 1 Kings chapter 16 that a new king by the name of Ahab is crowned in Israel. And the Bible says that Ahab was the most wicked king in the history of Israel. And not only was Ahab himself wicked, but the Bible says that he had a wicked wife by the name of Jezebel. And because Ahab was easily influenced by the whims of his wife, the Bible declares that he was led and consequently led the nation into idol worship. Israel began to worship a group of gods called the Baals and they built idols all over the country at Ahab's command but because God is a good God and God is a jealous God and God will never allow a country to fall into wickedness without sending a word the Bible says that God raises up a prophet let me pause there and say it again the Bible says that when Israel fell into wickedness God would not let the wicked live Leader lead wickedly without raising up a voice to stand against him because whenever wicked leaders come into power God raises up prophets to prick the conscience of his people and I'm tired now of living in a nation of preachers that say they believe God but they're silent as it relates to wickedness I'm not just talking about white Republican evangelicals but I'm talking about these house Negro preachers that are bent down on a knee against Donald Donald Trump and won't open up their mouth and speak out against injustice. I'm talking about people, oh God, that will allow politicians that mean their people no good to parade in front of their congregations and ask them to stand up and tell their people to give them a hand. But God says in a nation of wickedness, oh God, when Sandra Blands are being murdered and Botham Johns are being killed in their homes and oh God, Joshua Browns are being executed and then labeled as criminals and drug dealers God is asking where are all the prophets God help me where are all the men of God and women of God who are going to stand up and speak out against injustice and the Bible says that God raises up a prophet because in in first Kings chapter 17 almost out of nowhere a man from the mountain town of Gilead a Tishbite by the name of Elijah comes up out of nowhere with prophetic power and tells Ahab that because of his wickedness God was going to close up heaven. You have to understand now that they believed that that Baal worshippers believed that their God Baal was the ruler of the elements. That he was God help me the God of earth wind and fire. That he was the God that allowed rain to call from heaven and they felt like if they worshipped him that rain would continue to fall. But Elijah said so that you can know that God is God and that Baal is not rain will not fall from heaven except by my word and the Bible says that because Elijah spoke God shut up heaven and there was no rain and no crops grew and animals began to die and the Bible says that there was an intense famine in the land and people were starving to death but the Bible says that God provided for Elijah and did not allow him to go hungry but instead commanded Elijah to go to a brook 
called Cherith and stay there. And while God was there, the Bible says God allowed the brook to provide him with water to drink and that God commanded ravens to supply him with food. Now, I know that does not shout you. You don't understand that. But uh, it's one thing for Elijah to get water from a brook, but it's a completely different thing for ravens to bring Elijah meat. Because if you've ever seen a raven or a crow or a buzzard or a scavenger, they don't specialize, Corey, in bringing meat. Ravens specialize in taking meat. But when God is your provider and you're obedient to him, he'll find ways to make people go against their nature to be a blessing to you. God said, if you obey me, I'm going to make people who felt like they were there to take from your life. They're going to come and be a blessing to your life. God provided for Elijah even in the midst of a recession. But in verse 7, the Bible tells us that after a while, somebody says after a while, after a while we don't know how long chronologically the while was but it was long enough for the rain to begin to affect the river flow and to dry up the brook that Elijah was drinking from the Bible tells us that the brook dried up because there had been no rain and so God gives Elijah an interesting set of instructions in chapter 17 verse 8 God tells Elijah to get up from the brook and go down to a town called Zarephath in a region called Called Sidon and make his dwelling there because in Zarephath there was a woman that God had commanded to give him what he needed. Now that doesn't do anything for you so let me help you. If you read 1 Kings chapter 16 and you get to verses 31 through 34 you'll find out that Ahab had a wife named Jezebel whose father was a king of a place called Sidon. As a matter of fact Jezebel's father was called Ahab the Sidonite God help me so he is calling Elijah to go to his enemy's hometown and be provided for in a place where people shouldn't want to provide for him they should want to kill him can I reiterate the point that I just made a moment ago when you obey God God will provide for you in places that you don't expect when you trust the Lord God has a way of making folk who should want to destroy you want to bless you God help me let me just pause here parenthetically and prophesy over your life that this is a season of your life where people who used to want to kill you are going to want to bless you God help me this is a season where those folk that hurt you are going to come and apologize to you and tell you I got a blessing for you I got a cat what's your cash app I, I got a blessing for you I want to bless you and so the Bible says that he gets there or he goes there rather because God promises him that there was a woman that God had commanded him, commanded to give him what he needed. And while most times I've heard this preached, I've heard it preached focused on the prophet. But if I could approach this from the perspective of this woman, because what is interesting to me is the phrase that God uses in verse nine. God tells Elijah. To go to Zarephath because I have commanded a widow to provide for you. God says, Elijah, get up, go to a place you ain't got no business going. Because I've sent a word ahead of you to a woman to give you 
what you need. The Bible says that Elijah gets up and goes where God has told him to go. And when he gets there, he finds the woman that God is talking about. And she's there gathering sticks to make a fire so that she can cook her last meal. Because the famine that God caused has hit her so hard that now she's down to her last. God help me. Put yourself in the woman's shoes. She's obviously in relationship with God because God says he spoke to her. So this is a woman, a widow with a word, but she's in a famine that has hit her so hard that she's down to her last. And when the prophet that God told her was coming finally gets to her house, she's decided that she's going to cook her last meal and her and her baby are going to die. Now, don't judge this woman too harshly because the text does not provide us with time frames. But if I could use my sanctified imagination, I believe that the word of the Lord went something like this. God speaks to the girl, says, hey, daughter, there's a famine in the land and I'm going to send a prophet to you. And if you take care of him, I'm going to make sure that I take care of you. The only problem is any of us who follow God know that it can take some time from the moment God gives the word to the moment that the word actually comes to pass. As a matter of fact, there were some of us in the room right now who are still waiting on words to come to pass. So maybe this woman heard God. But so much time has passed that now all of her food is gone, all of her resources are depleted, and all she has is a little oil and some flour, and she doesn't even know that the prophet is coming anymore. So she's decided that she's going to do what she feels like is best for her and her baby and cook them one more meal so that after that they can die of starvation. But after she's made up her mind to die, the prophet shows up God help me now the woman is in a place where she has to choose between going forward with her plan for her last or obeying God with her last God help me God didn't send the prophet when the bowl of flour was full he didn't send the prophet when the jar of oil was running over but he waited until she got down to her last and she had to choose between obeying God and obeying herself and most of us know what that feels like because that's where many of us are right now we know that we have heard God challenge us to trust him and we know that we heard him say that if we trust him he would provide for us and when we first heard God we were excited about the promise and the challenge to trust him but now things are tight and money isn't flowing and we barely have enough to cover the things we need to cover but now God shows up with an inconvenient opportunity for us to obey him and now we're caught between two decisions are we going to eat our seed and die or are we going to release it to God and trust him to keep us alive this is the challenge for every believer and this is the challenge for the widow in our text this brown skinned single mother trying to make it in a ghetto town called Zarephath she now had to choose whether to obey God with her last or disobey God and try to to save herself can you imagine how messed up her mind is 
And I believe that through this story, we gain strength to trust God with our resources, even when it feels like our mind is playing tricks on us. Because the first thing I see in the text is that Elijah asked the woman when he gets there, he asked the woman for water and she obeys the request for water without question. She didn't get an attitude until he asked her for bread. God help me. Oh Lord, let me, let me, let me make that plain. Elijah asked her for water. She didn't have no problem bringing water. She didn't start tripping until the man of God asked her for her bread. God help me. Let me say it again because y'all ain't got it yet. Said maybe if I say it slow, they'll get it this time. The woman had no problem bringing water. She was okay bringing the prophet water. She didn't start tripping until he said, bring me some bread. God help me. That's because she's a lot like a lot of you. You don't have any problem giving water. Water in the Bible, God help me, is symbolic of worship. Water in the Bible is symbolic of adoration and acts of service. Water is symbolic of the things that you can do that don't cost you anything like lifting your hands and opening up your mouth and bowing down on your knees. The woman didn't start tripping until he asked her for some bread. And most of you are good until God puts a demand on your resources because your hallelujah don't cost you nothing. You'll thank you Jesus is not expensive. But when you gotta reach in your pocket and try to Figure, figure out, am I going to pay JEA all their money or am I going to do uh, what the man of God is asking me to do? You get into a conundrum in your thinking. You start tripping in your mind because bread make you start tripping. Yeah. He said, give me some water. She said, okie dokie, I'll be right back. He said, while you're at it, bring me some bread. She said, wait, I ain't got no bread. Nah, I, ain't no. <laughs> I don't have any bread. Uh, can, I, I have to, but, but I got to do the text better than that. That was eisegetical. That wasn't in the text. I just put that in there because I wanted to make a point. But the exegetical value of the text is this. Uh, she had no problem bringing water because historically we understand that Zarephath was a town filled with deep water wells. So that meant that the famine of rain did not affect the water in the wells of Zarephath. So while Israel was in a drought, Zarephath had water in abundance, but their grain and flour came from Israel in commerce. So because Israel was in a drought, the source of oil and flour in Zarephath was cut off. So the woman had water in abundance, but she only had a little bit of what it took to make bread. God help me, y'all don't get it yet. And the truth is, God help me, uh, many of us only want to give when we feel like we got enough to give. God help me. Oh God. Uh, and this is a principle for your money and your ministry because God never calls on you to give what you think you got a lot of. Because he never wants you to be able to take the credit. But God always calls you to give and to lead and to serve out of your deficit because that is the thing that gives him the greatest opportunity to get the glory. Now, the trick of the enemy is to try to make us angry with God because God is asking us for something that we think we don't have. When the reality is we really have enough to give God. We just don't have enough to share, share with God. God, help me. Oh, God, you, you, you really do have enough. You just don't have enough to share. God, help me. Uh, you got enough to give to God. 
You just don't have enough to split between you and God. God, help me. And the truth is, God is not calling us to share our little bit with him. But he is calling us to release our little bit to him because he knows that when we release our little bit to him, our little becomes much when we put it in God's hands. And the reason why many of us have not seen the supernatural provision of God manifested in our lives is because we still think that we can manage our money better than God can. But if we would grow up to the place where we understand that God has the ability to do more with our little bit than we can and then take our little bit and put it in God's hands, we'd be able to see him work miracles that would blow our mind. And is there anybody here who can say, I'm going to put my little bit in God's hands because I know that God can do more with it than I can do with it. But then secondly... The commandment to bring bread to the prophet, God help me, was an irritation to the woman. But it wasn't a surprise because God had already commanded her to provide for Elijah's needs. God, I got two things I want to point out here. First, this teaches us a spiritual principle. I want to help you. Uh, God commanded the woman to do something, right? It was a spiritual command, but it required a natural fulfillment. The only way the woman could obey God was to give money to the man of God, was to give resources, because you do realize that they didn't have currency, right? You had to be rich to have coins. Oil and flour was currency. So the only way that she could obey God was to release what she had in her hand to a person because she couldn't see God. She just heard him. And many of us erroneously believe that we can, be, that we can believe and be in right relationship with God and obey him and at the same time have an attitude that says we ain't got to give our money to that church and to that man. But God says the only way that you can obey me is by releasing your, your service and your sacrifice and your resource to somebody that you can see. Yeah. How do you serve God? By serving people. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, got, you got arrogant people and, and people that feel like, oh, I ain't coming to that church to serve that man. Uh, I'm here to serve God. Okay. Have you seen God? <laughs> The Bible says no man has seen God and lived for all those preachers. Uh, we got a couple preachers uh, around the city that claim to have seen God here recently. The Bible says uh, he is a God that no man has seen or who can see. Right. So you can't serve somebody that you can't see. But Jesus said in as much as you have done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it also unto me. Which means you love God by loving people. You serve God by serving people. And you give to God by bringing resources to his church. Now here's the thing. I'm going to be honest. Right? The church has done a lot to make people feel like it can't be trusted with their resources. 
But when I incorporated this church, when I planted this church, I looked online and found out that there are 1,837 incorporated religious bodies in the city of Jacksonville, which means that if you are at a church that you can't trust with your money, you don't have a responsibility to stop giving. You need to find a church that you can trust. You have no excuse for sitting in the house of God in disobedience and looking at the preacher crazy when he tries to raise an offering, talking about I ain't about to give you my money. Then find somebody that you like enough to give to. Because if you're a Christian, it's not your responsibility to keep the church in check. It's your responsibility to keep your flesh in check and give to God. She could not obey God without serving the prophet. Do you hear what I'm saying? And it's one thing for us to act like we're deep and spiritual and we're going to serve God. But it humbles us when we got to serve a person. It's, it's cool when we can just fall up in church and do whatever we want. And, and can I be real? Because there ain't nobody but colored folk in here this morning. The reason why a lot of us are leaving black churches and going to white mega churches, because you ain't going to a white church like this. You're not going to a white church that's small. You're going to a white church that's so glad that you're there that they won't put a demand on your life and your resources and your service. And you can get lost in the crowd and live like hell and do whatever you want to do. But God says, I'm putting a demand on you. You need to serve God by serving somebody. That's what God asked the woman for. But more than that, Elijah's request wasn't a surprise to the woman. Because in verse 9, God said that he had already spoken to the woman. So it was a reminder of what God had already commanded her to do. This means that she had already heard God speak. And when the prophet came and made a demand, it wasn't time for her to process the request because she had time to do that already. When the prophet made a demand, it was time for her to obey. God help me, you don't get it yet. This means that every week when you come to the house of God and you hear somebody tell you, whether it's me or anybody, that it's giving time. If you are a believer, you shouldn't be surprised by offering. But God through his word has already commanded you that if you are connected to the body of Christ, through the local church, it is your responsibility to ensure that the needs of your church are taken care of. Now, this is hard for us to grasp because we're not trained to provide and care for the needs of others. Can I get a witness? Especially the church, uh, because we've been conditioned by the world, our flesh and the devil to reject the idea of giving to God by giving to the church. And I told you already, the church has oftentimes been guilty of mismanaging finances and manipulating people. But the truth is that if we are believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are still called to obey God and give generously and trust that God will take care of his church. Oh, man, like that's trust. Right. I'm releasing my hard earned money. To somebody that I barely know. Because God says he's going to judge his church. God help me. Uh, God says he's going to make sure 
that his church is right. And we got too many spiritual sheriff deputies that feel like it's their job to police the pocketbook of the church. God, help me. Oh, God, I want to help you. Now, I, I, this ain't sugar-coated preaching. I, 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 pro I'm, I, I'm, I probably won't give you no any all right, won't he do it this week. But, but you got to understand something. You, as a disciple, it's not your job to keep the preacher in check, to keep the church in check. It's not your job to hold the church hostage with your tithe and your money and say, I'm not going to give if the message make me mad or I'm not going to open up my pocketbook because he made too much of an appeal in that offering. I'm tired of him asking us to stretch. The devil is a liar. If you're obedient to God and you are connected to a church, it is your responsibility to do your part and to trust God to do his part. That's why we got to be honest as pastors, right? We got to tell the truth. The, the, the church is messed up. We've messed up. We've done some foul things. We've spent more than we should. We've lived extravagant lifestyles. We've done stuff that we ain't got no business doing. And now that the, the economy is bad and people aren't making as much money and offerings are low, we want to try uh, to raise offerings, but we don't address the fact that preachers have been unwise with finance. But at the same time, the reason why the church is messed up ain't just because of the preacher. The reason why the church is messed up is because there's so many of us messed up people in it. Yeah. And if we're going to be honest about the fact that the church has messed up, then we got to be honest about we're a part of the mess that has messed up the church. We've been disobedient. We've been rebellious. We've been spiteful. We have come to church. We, we, I, I, did a, I, I read an article not that long ago that blew my mind and I shared it with my staff and it said that to the average evangelical Bible believing Christian coming to church two Sundays a month is regular attendance. That not these ain't fringe folk. These ain't people that I got to tell, hey, take that Facebook down, uh, read your Bible, say your prayers. These are actual believer believers who feel like if I come to church two Sundays a month, I'm doing good. And then we wonder why the church is in such a hard place because people don't pray when they are here. They don't worship when they are here. They need somebody to pump them up and promise them something for them to give when they are here. But then they only come two Sundays a month if we're lucky. Do you hear what I'm saying? We got to be honest about where we are and recognize that God has already commanded us to do something. Right? Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, but all the more as you see the day approach. And that means don't miss church. Second Corinthians nine and seven, each man should give as he has purposed in his own heart, not uh, reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. That means that you need to plan out your giving. Can I tell you something else? This woman blows my mind. Uh, because when the prophet makes a demand on her, in verse 12, she is able 
to give an accurate assessment of what exactly is in her house, which lets me know that she was living on a budget that let her know how much she had to give. Oh, God. I, I, Dave Ramsey, I'm going to help you this morning. Dave Ramsey told pastors, he said, uh, stop teaching people to tithe without teaching them about a budget. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to tell you to give, but I'm also going to tell you that you need to put yourself on a budget. You need to know what's in your house. You need to know what's in your house so that you can know what God is making a demand on. That's good. That's good. That's good. And, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to stop telling y'all Christianese and saying stuff that, that, that y'all don't understand. A tithe is 10%. Right? If you are a grown person, I'm talking about grown people. I'm not talking about babies. I'm not talking about if you still get whoopings and got allowances and your parents can send you to your room. I'm not talking to you. If you're a grown person, stop giving $2 and calling it a tithe. It's not a tithe. A tithe is 10% of all of your increase. Okay, can I teach y'all? Because I want to make sure that y'all understand a principle. I don't want to just throw out stuff and assume you understand what I'm talking about. A tithe is 10% of all of your increase. Okay, Pastor Josh. What do you mean all of our increase? Before I started pastoring full time, I worked at a bank and part of my uh, job at the bank was to receive loan applications. And Adrian, can I tell you something that was interesting about people who did loan applications? Right. When you ask them to put down their total income on a loan application, they won't just take their check. They'll take the little money they get for watching their nieces and nephews. They'll take the $5 a week for gas uh, that Uncle Jojo give them to drive them to his place of employment. They'll take uh, everything that comes to the house, every paper route that their kids have, every lemonade stand that their daughter do. They'll take and count all of that money together in their income because they want to get that loan. But then when it comes to tithing, y'all ask crazy questions like, do I need to give off my net or my gross? Because... I ain't really get all that money, you know what I'm saying? The devil is a liar. God says, whatever comes through your house, God says, give me 10% of that. Oh, and let me help my super deep folk that be like, oh, the tithe was for the Old Testament and Malachi was not written to the new body of Christ. It was written to the priest. First of all, that's wrong. Malachi was a letter that was written to the entire body of Christ and the tithe is before the law because before Exodus, the Bible says in Genesis, Abraham gave Melchizedek, who is a picture of Christ, 10% of all he had. That there is a spiritual principle throughout scripture that you honor God with all of your increase. Do you hear what I'm saying? But not only that, if we're going to make the argument that the scripture that talks about tithing wasn't written to us, nothing in this Bible was written to you. There is not a scripture in the Bible that says to the church called Faith Restored in Jacksonville. So if we're going to throw away the parts that tell us to tithe, then throw away the parts that tell you the stuff you like too. You about to go to hell. I just want to help you. I wouldn't be a good pastor if all I did was shout you and send you home. Do you hear what I'm saying? So the command of God is clear. And every time you come to church, you're making a decision whether or not to obey the command of God or to do what you feel like doing. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
So God is calling us to trust him and obey him. Even when the situation doesn't make sense, I got to move quickly. Even when everything around us is telling us to forget what God has said and to do things our own way. But the question is, how do we trust God when our mind is playing tricks on us? When the devil is making our mind feel like we don't have enough to give God and we don't have enough to obey God. How do we show forth real devotion and faith and trust? The Bible talks about when our minds are telling us to run in the opposite direction of obedience. Number one, if I'm going to do it, I got three points for y'all and I'm done. Number one, if I'm going to do it, I've got to release the not enough that I have. And trust the more than enough that he has. If I'm going to obey God when my mind is playing tricks on me, I've got to release the not enough that I have and trust the more than enough that he has. Do you hear what I'm saying? The woman knew what she had in her house. It wasn't enough for her to survive on. But in our heart, it was still too much for her to release. And how many of us have been there? We holding on to a seed that's not enough to meet our needs. But it's still too much for us to let go. God, we're wrestling in our minds about holding on to this little bit of money that can't fix our problem instead of releasing it to God when he calls us to be generous. But God is calling us to recognize that our provision is not based on our ability to pinch our pennies, but rather our provision comes from his riches and glory. So when God asks me for my last, I have to trust that when I release my not enough, God will release his more than enough enough to me I got to move so I got to release the not enough that I have and trust the more than enough that he has secondly I must reject fear bring the father his first and believe the word that if I do it God will give me favor in the famine you still got your Bible open look at verse 13 it says then Elijah said to her do not fear go do as you have said but make me a little bread cake from it when? First, God help me, and bring it out to me. And then afterward, you may make one for yourself and your son. God help me. Let me read it again because y'all didn't get it. He says, do not fear. Go do as you have said. But make me a little bread cake from it when? When? Not next. Not when you think you can afford it. He says, bring it to me first. God, help me. I, I, I really wish I could preach it like I feel it in my soul. He says, because if you do it, here is the word of the Lord. The bowl of flour will not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. Oh, God, this is a problem for us because many of us want to take care of ourselves first and then give God the leftovers. But that's not faith. God is calling his people to bring God his part first and then trust him that your needs will be met. God, help me. Uh, Elijah hears the woman's plan for the last of her resources. He knows that she's got plans for her last little bit of flour and oil. But he tells the woman, I hear what you want to do, but go do what God told you to do first. Because God has promised that if you show him that you can be trusted in the famine, God is going to grant you favor so that 
that while the famine is raging, you won't run out. God, help me. The woman is in the midst of a famine. So this means that God is telling her that there were going to be people running out all around you. But because you obeyed God, you wouldn't be rich, but you're not going to run out. God, help me. And here is the challenge for all of us as believers. Can we really trust God and believe that if we give to him, even in seasons when we need somebody to give to us, God will make sure that we don't run out. God, help me. But notice that Elijah doesn't just make a generic statement of provision. Elijah doesn't say, uh, I'm just believing God that you're not going to run out. Uh, uh, you know the Bible says somewhere that you're not going to run out. Uh, Elijah tells us this tells her this is the word of the Lord. Uh, God said that you're going to have provision. God said that you're not going to run out. So the question is, how do I trust God with my last even in the midst of a famine? The way I do it is by holding on to the word that because of God, what looks like my last ain't really my last. God help me. Oh God, I don't know who I'm preaching to, but somebody needs to know that because of God, your seed won't die. God help me. But it's like baby's kids, it's going to multiply. Your last ain't going to be your last. What you have in your hand ain't going to be what you're left with. God ain't going to let it run out on you. God said if you trust me, your last won't be your last. So number one, I've got to release the not enough that I have in my hand or that I have and trust the more than enough that he has. Number two, I've got to reject fear. Bring the father his first and believe the word that if I do it, God will give me favor in this famine. But then thirdly, and I'm through, uh, how do I trust God when my mind is playing tricks on me? Number three, I've got to obey God and go back to the kitchen, not looking for overflow, but trusting that every time I need to eat, God will put flour in the bin and oil in the jar. Let me say it again, because I don't think you got it. I, I've got to obey God and commit to going back to the kitchen. I promise I'm going to make it make sense in a moment. Not looking for overflow in the kitchen, but trusting that every time I need to eat, God is going to put flour in the bin and he's going to put oil in the jar. The Bible says that after the woman got the word from Elijah, verse 15 says that she obeyed God and released her last little bit of flour and oil to make a cake of bread for the prophet. And in verse 16, the Bible tells us that the flour was never used up and the oil never ran dry. But the only way that the writer was able to know that the oil didn't run out uh -huh. and the flour was still there uh -huh. is somebody had to tell him. Now this mess with me. How does he know that every time the woman went back there there was flour in the bowl and oil in the jar. Huh. This doesn't make sense. The only way he would know that is if the woman testified and told him. But that doesn't make sense to me. Can I be honest? I'm a pastor. That don't make sense. The woman put her hand in the bowl of flour and felt her hand scrape the bottom of the bowl. 
I know a lot of y'all uh, younger people don't cook, but if you cook, you know what the bottom of a bowl of flour feel like. Ain't no more. If your hand can touch the bottom, ain't no more. If you've ever poured out oil, even if it's baby oil to lotion up your feet, you know what the last little bit of oil look like. So this means that after using the last bit of flour and using the last bit of oil, the woman goes back to the kitchen and sticks her hand in an empty bowl. God help me. Starts to pouring an empty jar. Now the text tells us by way of the original language it is implied that God never fills the bowl of flour. God never fills the jar of oil. But every time the woman sticks her hand in the empty bowl and every time she tilts the empty jar God makes sure that there's something in her bowl. God help me. God makes sure that there's something in her jar. God help me. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but somebody, God help me, needs to understand that many of us may get to the point where we give God our last, but we're too afraid to go back into the kitchen because we know that it's gone. We, we know that our bank account said it's empty. We know that our cash app balance is gone. We know that our connections are depleted. We know that we use the last that we had. But God is saying, after you've given, trust me enough to meet me in the place that I promised I'd show up for you. And I'll make sure that there is flour in your bin and that there is oil in your jar. God, help me. Oh, God, I, I wish somebody would get it. God, this is not a promise then of overflow or of riches, but this is a promise that if you trust God in tight seasons he will make sure that you have exactly what you need and for the woman it was flour and oil but what do you need in your being God said if you give it to me I'm going to make sure that you don't run out God help me I don't know who I'm talking to but God says if you trust him that's the word of the Lord if you trust him you won't run out I know your mind is playing tricks on you but if you trust him you won't run out I know you feel like you don't have enough money to pay your bills but if you trust him you won't run out I know you feel like it's over for you and that you've depleted all of your resources and that preacher is crazy why is pastor Josh preaching about money when he knows stuff is tight for everybody I was talking to him and he said stuff is tight for him too but I believe that if you trust him God said you won't run out because you serve a faithful God. I know I got to quit now, but there is an old song that says, great is thy faithfulness. Lord God, my father, there is no shadow of turning with me. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new Mercies I see. Is it really by